grace and mercy and peace belong to you. From God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Eric Hofer, Eric Hofer, was about five years old when he learned how to read. Fast learner. But something else happened around that time as well. His, his mother was carrying him on steps, and she stumbled and fell with him. Both became injured. And perhaps it was through that injury that not long after that, Eric Hofer lost his eyesight. For the next several years, he was, he was blind. And then when he was about 15, miracle, his sight returned. When that happened, Eric Hofer was bound and determined to read and read and read as much as he could because he, he, he wasn't sure how long his eyesight was going to stay with him. As it turned out, his eyesight stayed with him for the rest of his life, but that habit of reading and reading and reading stayed with him. As he grew up, Eric Hofer did a lot of hard manual labor, worked really hard. He worked on farms in California. He prospected for gold for a time. And he spent a good number of years working as a longshoreman. Throughout all of that, however, Eric kept reading. And his reading fed his writing ability that he started to, to write about his, his observations on the, on the human condition. Well, his, his writing was so good and his insights were so striking for a lot of people that they encouraged him to write professionally. And so he gave it a try and he, be, he received more and more recognition. After a good number of years, he, he found himself serving as a, as a professor at a, at a university. And for all of his work, in 1983, Eric Hofer actually received the Presidential Medal of Freedom. There's a lot of quotable quotes from Eric Hofer as he just observes humanity and, and our, our living in this, in this fallen world. Here's one quote that has to do with the, the hurriedness of our harried world and, and, and our busyness, he says, he says this, the feeling of being hurried is not usually the result of living a full life and having no time. It is, on the contrary, born of a vague fear that we are wasting our lives. When we do not do the one thing we ought to do, we have no time for anything else. We are the busiest people in the world. Allow me to read that last part again. When we do not do the one thing we ought to do, we have no time for anything else. We are the busiest people 
in the world. Let's just let that hang in the air for a while as we let God's word through Luke paint this next episode in his gospel regarding the interaction of three people, Jesus and then two people named Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha are two sisters. Both of them believe in Jesus as their Savior from sin, and they are also his close friends. What each ends up prioritizing in their relationship with him gives you and me a great deal to consider. And so here's the setting. Luke records that that this is happening as, as Jesus is gradually working his way down south to go to Jerusalem for the last time. He's gradually working his way towards Jerusalem to make his appointment with the cross. And as he does that, he he enters a certain village, and Martha welcomes him into her home to treat him as their guest and to give him hospitality. Brothers and sisters, we just have to stop right there about hospitality. You and I might have our own idea of hospitality in the 21st century. We live in a very casual society where if somebody happens to stop by, we might say, oh yeah, come on in. And Maybe what we'll do is order out Jimmy John's or order a pizza, have it brought in, and then we stand around in the kitchen and, 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 uh, and, and eat and, and visit and have a nice time, and it's great. The concept of hospitality, the concept of how you treat a guest in the first century Middle East was serious business. Not to show proper hospitality, not to show proper hospitality to your guest was an insult to your guest and a disgrace on your home. And so as, as Martha is getting ready to take care of her guest and to treat Jesus with hospitality, there's a massive social expectation for what she needs to do. In addition, Martha very likely has a pretty good knack for this sort of thing. We know from elsewhere in the Gospels that the type of person that Martha seems to be. She's not afraid to say what needs to be said or to speak what's on her mind. And she seems to be kind of a type A person. She seems to be a, a, a mover and a shaker, get things done. Well, when you're good at something, and you know this from your own experience, when you're good, happen to be good at something, it can loom large in your perception as to how you think things ought to be. And she was good at hospitality. Therefore, her mindset very likely was something like this. I am going to show Jesus hospitality, and I am going to do it right. And so with this pair of glasses on, so to speak, that that Martha was wearing as she was getting things ready in her home, 
This, then, is what she perceives what is going on with these particular pair of glasses. First of all, she sees herself that she, Martha, she's doing the important thing, treating my guest, giving him hospitality. Second, she perceives that her sister Mary, not so much. What from, from, Mary's, from Martha's perception, Mary is just kind of left, left all the work, and she's just made herself comfortable and sat down near Jesus to listen to him talk. Third, Martha also seems to perceive that Jesus himself while this improper thing is going on, that Jesus is letting it happen. Now again, from your own personal lives, you can probably get a feel for what happens next. Martha's working, Martha's working, Martha's working, not sitting really well. You know, she's not saying anything, she's just working, working. The tension starting to ramp up a little bit. Tension's starting to ramp up a little bit more. Finally, Martha needs to let off some steam. And she approaches Jesus, and she gives him a whopper. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Let's, just, let's take a moment to unpack this. First of all, Martha does not address her sister, who is right there. Maybe you've been in a situation like that where maybe you've done it, where you're so upset that you, you can't even address the person who's, who's, you see is the cause of the problem. Next, she chooses instead to embarrass her sister by talking about this whole perceived problem with her guest in front of Mary. Third, she suggests that Jesus is partly to blame. Lord, don't you care that this improper thing is going on? And fourth, Martha decides that she needs to tell Jesus what he ought to do. After all, in her mind, no doubt Martha is thinking, I'm doing a great thing for Jesus. What could be more important than this? And now we hear Jesus' reply. Martha, Martha. Yes, he says her name twice. There is tenderness in saying her name twice, and there is love, and there is concern for an anxious rattled, distracted, harried soul. And I think we can all sympathize with Martha because we've all been there, and Jesus sympathizes with her too. He goes on, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Now what Jesus is doing, he's setting up a contrast between two words. He says, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But only one thing is necessary. And then he concludes by saying, Mary 
has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Now notice that Jesus never says, never says that what Martha is doing is bad. Absolutely not. In fact, elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus highlights the the great value and need for showing hospitality to others. That's an expression of love. Later on in the New Testament, God's Word speaks about the need for us as, as Christians to show hospitality to others. That is a vital and important fruit of faith. What he is doing, as Jesus often does when he talks about life, it's a matter of priority. It's a matter of priority. For Martha, her zeal to achieve something for Jesus, her zeal to achieve something for Jesus had blinded her to the priority of listening to Jesus. Her zeal to achieve something for Jesus had blinded her to the priority to listen to Jesus. Now this whole episode from God's Word that Luke records is not teaching us, it is not teaching us that that actively doing things to the glory of God is bad. And that we should just be absolutely passive and listen to Scripture only. Absolutely not. If you may recall, last week, Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. He did not tell the parable of the Good Samaritan by saying, well, then this gentleman was was beaten severely and he's left half dead on the side of the road and and a... Samaritan came along, and the first thing that Samaritan did was that he sat down for a couple of hours and read Scripture. No, he went and helped him. He was active. He saw a need, and he filled it. What God's Word is telling us here is that when busyness for the Lord displaces listening to the Lord, then we lose what empowers us to serve. When busyness for the Lord displaces listening to the Lord, you and I lose what empowers us to serve. Then you and I simply become, in time, empty shells, empty husks, trying to make our own way. And that leads to a dead end. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God that Jesus was on his way to the cross. Thank God that that God the Son became one of us and, and on our behalf, he lived a life of perfect priority. Perfect priority as our substitute. And then all of the times that, that when you and I have had horrible priorities, 
and all the times that we've put relationships in front of our relationship with our Lord, or the times we've put hobbies in front of listening to God's Word, or we've put our own desires and our own conveniences in front of our relationship with the only Savior we've got, He took all of those failures and He carried them to the cross and through His suffering and death, He washed them all away. So that now you and I, through faith in our living Savior, we stand fully forgiven. He embraces us in His love. He covers us in His, in his holiness. And now you and I, refreshed and renewed, can begin again. If you've ever flown on a plane or even heard about flying on a plane, you are probably familiar with one of the first things the flight attendant will tell us before the plane leaves the ground in the event of loss of cabin pressure. The oxygen masks will come down. If you are seated with someone who is depending upon you, do not, do not, do not try to put the oxygen mask on that person first. You put the oxygen mask upon you first so that you have the strength and you are in a proper condition to help somebody else. Lord, you and I can pray before I do anything else, before I even try to Touch someone else's life with the gospel. Move me to breathe deeply in your word. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Jesus. Amen.